is Talk About Books, baby, where we will be talking with your favorite LGBTQ authors. So I'm Anita Kelly, and my guest today is Ann Aptaker. Hello, Ann. Hi, Anita. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. It's good to talk to you. Um, how nice are, to be here. How are you? I'm very good, like everyone else, just trying to get through one day at a time through, you know, this pandemic. And I hope all your listeners are well and healthy and you you as well. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I'm holding my own, uh, waiting for uh, a snowstorm to hit us. <laughs> uh, Absolutely, here too. Yeah, yeah. So did you get snow today? Uh, a little bit. We got sort of a mix of snow and rain. Okay. Yeah, I got probably like two inches, but it's, yeah, half gone. So, <laughs> so, um, so Anne, um, yes. how many, let's talk about books. Um, okay. And how many, how many books do you have published to date? I have uh, four novels currently published uh, in the Cantor Gold series. The next Kendra Gold book is scheduled for release from Bywater Books in July. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I have stories in two anthologies that are currently out now. Uh, so that's my current on the market uh, output. Wow, that's great. So um, you said that it is July like your next release that's coming out? Yes, that's the, in the next uh, book in the Cantor Gold series is coming out in July. The, the pre, uh, four previous books, of course, are still available if anybody would like to catch up with Cantor and her adventures. Okay. And, and what's the, the name of the one coming out in July? It's called Murder and Gold. And like all the Cantor Gold books, of course, it's a crime fiction, murder mystery fiction. All right. So can you tell us about the the Cantor Gold series? Certainly. Um, they take place in the 1950s, uh, mostly in New York City, although the one that's currently out before Murder and Gold, the most current one is Flesh and Gold, finds Cantor actually traveling to pre-Castro Havana, which is very sexy and sizzling. Yeah. Uh, but Cantor is an art thief and smuggler uh, in the 1950s in New York, she is a very dapper, very well-dressed butch dyke. Uh, and she is um, a, a criminal, of course. She's, you know, she's an art thief and a smuggler. And she chooses to do that as opposed to being a legitimate art dealer. Because at that time, of course, it was illegal to be a member of the LGBT community. Uh, you could be arrested or, or put into the psycho ward. So she feels that if the law is going to identify her as a criminal just for her life, just for her romantic life, just for being alive, that she doesn't owe the law any uh, allegiance whatsoever. So she chooses to live her life as an art thief and smuggler. Uh, since the law is going to label her as a criminal, she figures, well, what the hell, I may as well be a criminal. And so that's the basic premise of the of the books, of the character. And then, of course, in each book, she confronts a murder or a crime involved in her criminal underworld. And she has to solve it, uh, mostly to save her own life. So she doesn't want to be pinned for these crimes. So she 
solves them. Is that, is that right? uh, it, yes? Uh, to to some degree, uh, that's true. It, depending on the book, in some, it's you know a friend of hers who might be uh, the victim. Uh, you know, she has she exists in the criminal underworld, uh, and when murders take place, she either has to avoid being blamed for them by the police who want to arrest her for you know the, the drop of a hat. They want to pin her for anything or because it's someone that she knows or someone she's involved with uh, uh, in, in, in the smuggling racket or so on, or someone that she cares deeply about. Um, but in any event, because she lives in the criminal underworld, her life, of course, is very dangerous, but it's very exciting and very sexy. So, so we, we like... Cantor, right? Oh, yes, indeed. At least I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's it's funny because it reminds me of uh, Ali Valley's uh, Casey Kane um, uh, persona, who is like a a mob, you know, boss. But but right. you, you you like her, like you can't help yeah. but like her. Yeah, Ali Ali's books. I'm a big fan of the Casey Kane books. Um, uh, but there is a difference between them. First of all, the Casey Kane books are contemporary. They take place now. And they, she's not in any particular danger of being arrested because she's gay or a lesbian. Right. Where Cantor, you know, just by walking around in a men's, in a, you know, in, in a man's suit uh, in the 1950s, she could be arrested for cross-dressing. That was against the law in many states. Okay. So uh, Cantor's life is extremely dangerous just by virtue of getting up in the morning. Yeah. Um, so we, but we do like her. She's charming. <laughs> she That's really is charming. She's a charming <laughs> rogue if ever there was one. <laughs> so um, are you currently working on anything? Yes, I am. Um, I'm in the process of sort of finding my way, struggling my way through a short story uh, I've started the next Cantor Gold book. Um, I let's see. I'm also uh, writing something somewhat different, a uh, historical uh, uh, Butch Femme um, mystery novel. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty busy. I stay. I write every day. Wow, that's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> um, do you have? Uh, another career besides writing? Well, I did. Um, for, the, for many years, I was an art curator and exhibition designer at museums and galleries. And I retired from that, uh, oh, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that, maybe a little more. And then I was teaching uh, at the college level, teaching at one of the colleges here in New York, at the New York Institute of Technology, I was teaching art history. Uh, and, but now um, I'm writing actually full time, uh, and I'm loving it, absolutely. Wow, that's fantastic. Good for you. Um, you've had a, a rich, full life in the arts, it sounds like. Yeah, I have, actually. I've been in the arts um, essentially all my, certainly all my adult life. And even as a youngster, I was involved in theater. So, yeah, I've been involved in the arts all of my life. Now, interestingly now, but I've always wanted to write. And interestingly, now that I do write, and I came to writing late, actually. Um, but now that I do, it's actually all of a piece. 
Um, you know, theater is about building worlds and exhibitions, uh, art exhibitions are also about building worlds and telling a story. When you walk into an art show, essentially you're in a visual narrative. Um, but now I do it with words. Um, so one way or another, I've been building worlds, making worlds and creating narratives all of my life. And now I do it in terms of literature, which is turning out to be my favorite way of doing it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And and how old were you or how many years ago did you start writing? I started writing, um, let's see. Oh, gosh, I guess 15-ish years ago, uh, more or less, something like that. Uh, I, I wrote a short story. And I sent it to, uh, I sent, I had the nerve to send it off uh, to an open submission for what was then the Fedora anthologies of, of crime and mystery fiction. And lo and behold, it was accepted, which certainly gave me, you know, an ego boost and certainly gave me more confidence to keep going on this. I mean, to have the first short story I've ever written uh, accepted professionally in a major anthology was quite a thing. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah, that was quite a thing. So, and that was way back in 2003, I want to say something like that. Okay. So quite a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the, when you first wrote your first Cantor Gold book, did mm -hmm. you intend for that to be a series? Um, or yes. You, oh, you yeah. did. Okay. Yeah, right from the get-go. I had, yeah, she, I had been thinking about her as a character for a long, long time. And when I finally sat down to write her, after going through all kinds of manifestations in my head uh, about who and what she was and all of this and that, um, and, and, and she became clear to me, yeah, then I actually saw it as a series that takes takes her through the 1950s and into the early 1960s when the world changed again. Okay, and and the latest one that is coming out in July is that in set in the 60s or the no? It's, it's, we're still in the 1950s. Okay. Yeah, then the, it's uh, 1954, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so. How many more novels in this series do you anticipate? Well, I'm not sure. Um, the first one, Criminal Gold, was sort of was the setup for everything. That took place in 1949, and the subsequent books took place in the you know 1950 and then 1952. You know, sort of leaping through the 1950s. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not exactly sure how many there will be. Uh, I know. I know why they have to end in the 19, early 1960s, but how many books it will take to get there at this point, I'm, I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. Okay. As long as Cantor has something to say, I guess I'll be right there. <laughs> so, so did, you, did you know a Cantor Gold in your lifetime? No, okay. no, I didn't. Well, no, I didn't know a Cantor Gold. But I can tell you a little bit about the evolution of the character. As I say, I was thinking about her for a long time because in crime and mystery fiction, I had not read about a dapper, you know, Butch Dyke uh, in the in the golden age of crime fiction, you know, in the 1940s and 50s. 
Um, and so it's, you know, one of those things if you, when you, when, if there's a need for something, you fill it. And mm -hmm. so I wanted a character of that time and place and variety. And so I decided to write it myself. So Cantor evolved that way, but originally she was going to be on the right side of the law, probably as a private investigator, private eye. Okay. But at the time, I was living in San Francisco for a while and where I was doing art projects and so on. But I also wound up working for a private investigations firm. Really? And yeah, I did. I answered, you know, when I, it was, it was at that time where I started to think about writing crime fiction seriously, which is, you know, what I've always wanted to do. And I had this opportunity to be a report writer for a private investigations firm, um, you know, where I'd write the investigative report based on what the, the operatives, the detectives would come in with their notes and I would turn it into a narrative for the courts or whoever the client was. Anyway, so I got to see the criminal justice system up close and personal. And let me tell you how disgusted I was. Yeah. And uh, it's really, it most a lot of times it doesn't work. It's corrupt. It's, it's bad news. So now, that's not to say always. I mean, there are good lawyers out there. There are honorable judges. There are honorable police, uh, you know, and law enforcement people. But there's a lot of corruption and crap. I saw fixed trials and all kinds of nonsense. And some heartbreaking things. Yeah. Well, once I saw that, I said, there's no way that Cantor can be on the right side of the law. I realized she had to be a criminal in order to survive. In order to maintain her own righteousness and honor, mm -hmm. she had to be a criminal. Wow. And so that's what I did. Yeah. That's amazing. That is mm -hmm. amazing. Um, so I'll ask you just be, uh, do, you, do you like British television shows? I do. Um, I, I do. I, you know, I watch what I can through, you know, streaming and whatnot. Uh, do, are there any particular ones that you have in mind? Yes. When you were just talking about um, your experience in San Francisco, I, it reminded me of there's a great show called Line of Duty. Ah. Um, and it's it's about a department. They're called AC-12. And they... Um, you know, their their main focus is finding bent coppers. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's really good. Oh. I'm sure it is. It yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah, it's really great. I would recommend that. So, um, so you uh, just mentioned that you're also currently working on um, a piece of historical fiction. I am. Um, I. Um, well, yes. Well, the Cantor Gold books are historical as well, since they take place in the 50s. But mm -hmm. um, I'm also sort of dabbling around in a book that takes place in New York in 1899. Wow. I also wrote a mainstream book that's currently in the hands of my agent that takes place in New York in 1896. So needless to say, I love the late 19th century, right, right on that cusp of the 20th century. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And what do you <laughs> love about that period? Um... A few things. First of all, it was very colorful just of and by itself, but also because it was on the cusp of the 20th century, it was almost as if the city was holding its breath, waiting for um, what they assumed and hoped would be um, um, 
a sort of a wondrous future. At the, you know, don't forget the late 19th century was when the Industrial Revolution was really in full b sort of boom. And all of these incredible, or at the time, incredible inventions were happening. The telephone, for instance, um, skyscrapers were starting to be built. Everything was moving faster and higher. Um, uh, the, the horse-drawn carriage, what we now call the automobile, was on the verge of you know, becoming sort of more prevalent on the scene. Um, so people at the time were really anticipating a brilliant 20th century. They couldn't see on the horizon where the horrors of World War One and, and World War Two. So at the, you know, in 1896, 1899, 1900, they were just really breathless for the on, onslaught of the modern world. At the same time, as you probably know, or readers of historic fiction or love love historic movies know, uh, there was an underside to the nineteenth, the late nineteenth century. Um, you know, there were very gritty streets and and dark alleyways and all kinds of crime that took place in these fetid environments in the in the underbelly of the city. Mm -hmm. So you had this great anticipation and optimism on the one hand, and the really down and dirty the reality of the grittiness of the city on the other hand. I mean, literally gritty, where you had soot in the air from yeah, the right. trains and so on. Um, so that dichotomy fascinates me. And it's the same sort of fascination I have with Cantor's, Cantor Gold's world in the 1950s, in that in the 1950s, of course, people think of in a way as a golden time. There was near full employment. In New York, it was really a golden city. Uh, you know, the, the, the modern world was making uh, uh, a, a, a big middle class after the Second World War. The suburbs were expanding. Life was good. But right underneath that was a, a more corrupt life. Um, and it was the era of film noir because people knew that right under that that shiny surface was a darker, more corrupt world, that something was not quite right, that there was inhumanity happening just below the surface of the bright, shiny world. So those two periods of time really interest me because of that dichotomy. Oh, that's great. That's really interesting. You know, that reminds me of, um, I went on the, uh, the New York subway tour um, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and they talked about, you know, how it how it all started. And there was a, a whole like criminal background to that as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. it, it, it just speaks to what you're saying. Um, so um, well, that's really cool. That's really great. I'm, I'm thank you. Yeah. So um, we, we talked a little bit about um, your other life. But um, so what other uh, kind of roles in the art world have you had along the way? Well, chiefly as a curator and exhibition designer, okay. I would, um, you know, I would curate exhibitions, select the artists, uh, devise the themes of the show, do the scholarly research and write all the material. And then as an exhibition designer, I would then have to create the world in which all this artwork lived in, in order to create the story that was to be told. And it was a very exciting career for many years. Yeah, that is. That's really I cool. got to meet lots and lots and lots and lots of artists, many of whom are still my very dear friends. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's great. So, um, 
So what does a typical day look like for you then, Anne? A typical day. Well, believe it or not, uh, or do you have this, one? <laughs> right, right. During this um, pandemic, my day really is not all that different from before the pandemic. Okay. In that I, you know, get up in the morning and I have my breakfast and I read the news, which you know these days is a little horrifying, but I do anyway. Uh, and then after breakfast, I get to work um, and. Uh, I take care if I don't have any particular PR materials to do or, you know, social media postings and whatnot, which I do in the morning. Uh, and then after I finish all that, then I get to work on writing um, uh, until lunchtime. Then I take a break during lunch and either read something or stream something or other to clear my head. And then after lunch, I get back to work again until dinner time and depending on if I have any deadlines that are staring me in the face I'll probably work in the evenings as well after dinner but if I don't have any deadlines staring me in the face I'll probably stream a movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, great so um what what genre do you like to write in like what what are you comfortable with well I write crime and mystery fiction mm -hmm. Um, and I write it because it allows me to talk about things that are important to me. Uh, I mean, what could be more important than issues of life and death? Mm -hmm. uh, and crime and mystery fiction takes issues of life and death and puts them into the realm of justice or the lack of it. Right. Uh, and I enjoy um, exploring those themes about what it means to have justice, what's the difference between rights or freedom. Mm -hmm. And so crime and mystery fiction allows me to deal with these social issues without getting preachy about it, you know, without walking around my billboard, because crime and mystery fiction, it still has to be a page turner. Right. You still, have to, you know, in, in, engage the reader in that way, in a very visceral way. But the genre allows me to talk about those issues uh, while I sort of slyly entertain you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fodder for your work uh, <laughs> in, in today's world, right? Yes, there is. <laughs> Crime and mystery fiction will never run out of things to write about ever, unless <laughs> you know, unless the world changes and everybody becomes saintly. But that ain't happening anytime soon. No, 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 not from the top down. So, um, so what is your all-time favorite novel? I have two all-time favorite novels, uh, and people who know me uh, or have heard me speak before will say, oh, God, here she goes again with these same two novels. <laughs> but what they are um, are F. Scott Fitzgerald and Emily Bronte. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, of course, um, is The Great Gatsby is is my favorite work of his. Oh, that's and great. Emily Bronte's fa my favorite work of hers is Wuthering Heights. Oh. I, I love both of those books. And they really do qualify as my two favorite novels. They're not my only, you know, loved novels, but they oh, when I think about all the books that I do like, those those almost always come up at the top of the list. And interestingly, um, they're not specifically crime novels, though, of course, they are in their way in that, you know, Gatsby is a criminal and um, and Heathcliff is, you know, sort of borderline mm -hmm. criminal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, what is it then about those books that appeals to you? 
Um, even though they take place in very different eras, in very different societies, and it, uh, you know, and and involve extremely different classes of people, mm-hmm. I find them to be very much about the same thing, and that is reinventing yourself and striving, finding a place, finding your place in a world that you don't really belong to, uh, and yet you want to knock on its doors and get in there. Uh, and then striving. They're both, you know, Heathcliff and Gatsby are both strivers, and they strive against a world that really does not like them or respect them, and yet they strive like crazy. They do it, they they break into the upper reaches of the world they want um, to be part of in their own, and they do it in their own way. And it's not always a very polite way, but they get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they They both have honor of a sort um uh it's it's actually to my way of thinking it's actually a more honest honor than a lot of the people we think of as honorable who have an easier time of acceptance right so i find their struggle and their their ability especially gatsby his ability to sort of laugh at the world uh and heathcliff to sort of cry with the world Mm -hmm. uh, both of these characters really resonate with me so both of those novels um, have been, I think, a couple of times, each one of them have been made into movies. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Have, mm-hmm. have you seen those movies? I have. Um, some are more successful than others. Interestingly, the most recent Gatsby movie, which was actually called Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. um, I a lot of people didn't like it because it used, you know, it was still, it, it, they still showed it as taking place in the twenties, but they included rap music and some other contemporary sorts of things and this mm-hmm. and that. And yet I found it actually more true to the spirit and the voice of Fitzgerald than some of the earlier um, uh, interpretations, which stuck very closely to, you know, to the original uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. I found this book, this film actually very, very close to the spirit to uh, that of Gatsby and the spirit of Fitzgerald's um, uh, character. That's interesting. I, I actually liked um, the latest uh, remake better. Then um, I think I saw one. Maybe it was Robert Redford. Yeah, which Gatsby. was really kind of weak tea. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. It was actually kind of boring. Yeah. Um, it really didn't didn't. Robert Redford wasn't criminal enough. You know, he he didn't have that edge. There was another one with another actor whose name escapes me now. So some you know a few years after that, and I think it might have been a TV movie, which wasn't bad, mm-hmm. but the most recent one with Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, was really the, the sharpest one. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, you're right. I, he had that edge to him. Yeah, and he was, you know, vulnerable at the same time, you know, he was so in love with Daisy, and he was, you know, so, so sad, you know, he yeah. was really so vulnerable about it you wanted to just reach out and hug him at you know at the same time that he was making very shady deals yeah yeah you're right (laughs) driver (laughs) (laughs) so uh would you say that um bronte and uh, fitzgerald are your favorite authors or do you have other favorite authors oh i have other favorite authors as well um let's see um, Willa Cather uh, has this extraordinary American voice, just this marvelous voice. 
Um, I, I have to tell you, I'm sticking here a little bit to older classics. You know, Willa Cather and Raymond Chandler, one of the you know the great golden age writers of crime and mystery fiction. Same way with James M. Cain, whose you know masterpiece. Uh, Double Indemnity was made, of course, it was a brilliant novella and an equally brilliant film. And then there's, you know, Cornel uh, Woolrich, you know, Jim Thompson. Uh, and these are, you know, really golden age writers. I'm staying away from naming contemporary writers because I don't want my friends to be mad at me if I don't mention them. I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> There's so, so many, you know, that it's like, oh, I better steer clear of this. <laughs> yep. Yep. I understand. Good move. Good move, Anne. <laughs> so, um, so do you like to read uh, crime mysteries, then? I do, but that's not all I read. Um, I read a pretty broad range of things. I read a lot of nonfiction as well uh, on various subjects of things that interest me. Um, for instance, right now, um, I just, um, I'm just getting ready to start a real, what I hope is going to be a really interesting book uh, by a woman named J.E. Smith called Nobody's Girl Friday, The Women Who Ran Hollywood. Oh. And evidently there were some really powerful women in Hollywood from roughly 1930 to about 1960. And she discusses them, or 1920-something to, to 1960. Uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to getting started. The book just arrived today, and I'm really really get looking forward to that. So I, I, I read a lot of broad things. Um, what I read least of, and of course the lesbian fiction world is going to, you know, have me by the throat when I say this, but what I read the least of is romance. I'm not a romance fan. I hate to say it, but yeah. I'm not. Even in... Now, interestingly, um, I do kind of enjoy rom-com movies. Okay. <laughs> But I, I can't get into reading romances, you know, because they, we know how they're going to end. And as a, as a mystery writer, even as I write them, I don't even know always how they're going to end. But with a romance, you do. And that doesn't really doesn't, you know, float my boat very much. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Even um, in mainstream uh, you know, novels, romance is like the, the number one read Type yeah. Of yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it outsells everything. Yeah. yeah. So, um, do you like to hear from your readers? Oh, I love to hear from my readers. Yeah, yeah. I love to hear from my readers, of course. <laughs> and especially if they have nice things to say. If they, you know, if they want to tell me to go drop dead somewhere, I suppose I could live without that. <laughs> yep. 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 If, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Right. That's what my mom always said. But I do like to hear from readers. I get, you know, Facebook messaged from readers from time to time. Uh, and many of them do say very nice things. But some of them have questions, you know, really interesting questions about why I wrote something this way and not another way. And, you know, some of them are really thought-provoking questions. Mm -hmm. um, so on the whole, I have to say, yes, I do enjoy hearing from readers. I enjoy it very much. And I encourage readers to, to get in touch with me through Facebook Messenger. Okay, so is that how the best way for someone to contact you then through Facebook yeah, Messenger? That, yeah, that is. But through Facebook Messenger, that's the best way to, to reach me. And you can find me on Facebook either as Ann Aptaker or Ann Aptaker Author, either page. And then you, people can message me through there. Okay, all right, great. So um, many of our listeners, as it turns out, are budding authors. Um, 
And and what advice would you give to them? Well, first of all, you know, the usual thing, keep writing. Don't let anybody stop you from writing if you think that you have something that you really must say. But I think the most important thing would be um, when you're writing, to, to write the book from inside each character's uh, uh, experience. A lot of first-time writers make the mistake of writing the book as if it's a movie they see behind their eyes and then telling you what happened. Now, there's this dictum of saying, you know, show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to say is actually goes further than that. Um, you have to write the book, I, I believe, from the point of view of whatever character is speaking at that moment. You have to just trowel down into the emotions of that character. Because books, narrative of any sort, whether it's a novel or a movie, a movie script or whatever, they're not the story of plot. And in a way, they're not even the story of character. What moves the story forward are the emotions of every character, mm -hmm. which, you know, our lives are all emotional lives all the time. Everything we do the action and the reaction of every moment of our lives is based on the emotion of the moment. Now, it doesn't have to be a wild emotion, you know, great ecstasy or deep sadness. It can be just, you know, listening to someone, and but you're reacting to what you're hearing. So that's an emotional moment. You have to write from inside that character's emotional moment mm -hmm. so that when you have exposition things, when you say, and then she crossed the street, the reader is so invested with what crossing that street means because mm -hmm. the, the emotions are, are something they've experienced through the book. They're walking that crossing with her. That, yeah, so that, right, exactly. You're walking with her and crossing that street, you know, is an emotional wallop uh, or satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So I would tell every writer, anybody writer, is not to see the book and, you know, the story behind your eyes, but to hear it hear your characters, hear their emotions, hear their, uh, their, their voices, feel what they're feeling, and write from those places. It's very difficult to do, that but is. that's what makes a satisfying book. Yeah, that is, that's a difficult task, really. Um, but it makes it's it's what makes good books readable mm -hmm. um, when you are, you know, if the if the author can trowel down into themselves. And let me tell it's very difficult for me. I, I, I know some authors find it easier to do. I find it very difficult. But nevertheless, uh, as an author, if you can trowel down into yourself and get to that raw place and um, and and then identify with each one of your characters good and bad and write from their emotional point of view even in dialogue you know it's like being schizophrenic you're in one yeah. person's soul and then you're in the other person's soul um but that's what you have to the place you have to write from in order to, for the reader to have the emotional engagement that keeps them reading and keeps them caring so so um and you had said that this character Cantor gold was in your you know, consciousness for a while before you decided to write about her. Yes. And, and so it, like, I, I interpret that as like you had developed her character. Um, yeah. And, and so 
all of the other characters, the secondary characters that Cantor encounters along her way, um, do you do a lot of character development first, um, or or is it more like plot driven? Um, uh, <laughs> no, I don't do a lot of char okay. character development first. As I write, well, when I started writing the first Cantor Gold book, I didn't know who the hell her associates were. Okay. <laughs> I just, you know, ignorance really is bliss. If I, if I didn't know how hard writing was, I think people, I, I, I probably wouldn't have done it. So I just sat down and started <laughs> right. Like an idiot, um, and but I was hooked. I, you know, I really yeah. was hooked. And of course, having well, we're had glad you did. stories published, I you know <laughs> thought that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and so there I was, you know, <laughs> feeling much too full of myself until my next rejection, which sort of brought me back down to earth and was the best thing that ever happened to me. Aww. But when I started writing the Candor Gold books, um, I. I didn't really know where they were going. I knew what that first sentence was going to be. I knew what I knew how it was going to open. Where it was going to go from there, I hadn't a clue. Uh, so I just sort of went along for the ride, and the the story, the story presented the characters, and they still do. Now she has her. There, there are recurring characters. There's her, her sort of right-hand guy Friday, uh, Judson Zane. There's her cabbie getaway driver, and sometime friend with benefits, uh, Rosie Bliss. Uh, there's. Uh, um, <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, um, Red Drogan, who is a tugboat operator who who brings helps helps. Cantor bring in contraband through the port of New York. So there's all these people, and then her lawyer, Win Winston Maximovich. So there's all these people, but they evolved as the stories did. You know, like I would get to a place in the story where Cantor needed a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so there was Winnie Maximovich. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and so the characters evolve as they need to be. They they literally walk into the story because that's they're, they're part of Cantor's life. Oh, that's but, and, and then... As I write them and I get to know them, mm -hmm. um, I don't make notes really too much about their characters. I find out who they are as I write them. And then after I get finished with a first draft, which takes me forever because I tend to write drafts one through three at the same time, you know, refining and refining and refining. Okay. And then when I go through it again and I rewrite. Well, by then I get I, I've known I know the know the characters fairly well and then I can even deepen them further. Oh, that's great. That's a great way to, to work that out. I like that. Yeah. Well, everybody has their own way. You know, I know writers who who um, uh, outline everything, which would drive me crazy, but there are writers who swear by it and they write very good books. Yeah. Uh, there's really no one way of doing it. You have to do what works for you as long as you get that emotional wallop. Yeah. Yep. But then how you get there, that's completely up to you and the kind of person that you are, the way you work. is There's no right or wrong way of doing it. Yeah, and, and you know, readers, um, that's what they connect with. They connect with the emotions, like human Absolutely. beings. Yeah, yeah, human beings connect you, with you, each other that yeah, way. Yeah, you, you can't just tell them what's going on. You have to bring them into the drama of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's very true, right? All right. So, Anne, that's about mm -hmm. all the time we have for today. But um, I'm wondering if you have any parting words for our listeners. 
or your readers. Uh, well, happy, wonderful holidays. Everybody stay safe and well and healthy. Uh, please wear your mask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the vaccine is coming uh, so we can all, you know, get out into the streets and hug each other again. But in the meantime, every, I just wish everybody a really healthy, happy holidays and new year and uh, be avid readers. There's nothing quite as satisfying as curling up with a good book. And please curl up with my good books. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's what I wish for everyone is happy, healthy holidays and good reading. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, July when mm -hmm. murder, is it murder in gold? Murder and Gold. Murder but in the meantime, of course, uh, the other, you know, the previous uh, Cantor Gold books are available. And even though they're a series, each one of them can be read as a standalone. So if, you know, when you go onto Amazon or the, you know, Bold Strokes books, which was my previous publisher, if you go, if you read the description and of each one of them and one of them appeals to you more than the other, you can read that one. They, they all work as standalone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So you don't have to read them in sequence. No, a lot of people enjoy reading them in sequence, but you don't have to because I kind of catch you up, you know, with each book. You're you're brought up to date with what's going on and you can read it as a standalone. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Yeah. Good to know. All right. Well, thanks, Anne. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you again for yeah. this opportunity to speak to your listeners. Hey, absolutely. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Anita Kelly. And again, thank, thank you, Ann Aptiker, for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for joining Let's Talk About Books, baby. So until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and stay safe out there, folks. <laughs>